This is Dr. Deanne Fry, and over 20 years of experience providing neuropsychological treatment to individuals with known or suspected neurological illness slash injury, with a special focus on survivors of brain injury and their families. She established, and others, established a nonprofit organization, Northeast Ohio Brain Injury Foundation, to help promote information and resources for brain injury survivors and their families in Northeast Ohio. Let's talk about your nonprofit, Northeast Ohio Brain Injury Foundation, or NEOBIF, and talk about that organization. We actually uh, started back in 2013 was when we got our nonprofit status through the IRS. Um, So if you've ever had to go through that process, um, you know how much fun that is. Uh, and we were we were very fortunate. We were actually uh, granted approval within three ha- three and a half weeks of submitting our application, mm-hmm. which I guess from what I've been told by others is pretty unheard of. So um, the Wonderful. reason why we started NeoBiff was because we were meeting as our collaborative group, which is a, an initial organization that's been around for 30 years that I helped start. Mm-hmm. And the goal of that group, really, we kind of look at our collaborative group as kind of the worker bees for the nonprofit. Um, but as you probably know, you're in the arts. If you want to apply for a grant or get any kind of donations, you need to be a nonprofit. For sure. So to really get was, the word out and to get the money, get the resources, you really have yeah. to start be a nonprofit to do the grant writing to really. And it also helps collaborative, get partnerships too. You know, Absolutely. Absolutely. So we kind of all, the two agencies work together collectively. And one of our main goals is to try to help folks in our community get access to the resources and services that they need. So our collaborative group actually meets once a month. We've been meeting on the third Friday of the month now for 30 years. And um, we will have two case presentations. Um, Our group is all professionals that provide, that work somewhere that provides some type of resource to uh, brain injury survivors. So over the years, over the decades, we've had over 70 or 80 agencies participate. Now it kind of comes and goes in terms of membership. You have to find the person in that organization has a passion for helping people Mm -hmm. with brain injury. Um, And then they make the time and effort. So we'll spend an hour with that family problem solving, like what kinds of resources do they need help finding, um, what kinds of services to try to come up with a plan and some direction for them. That's kind of like the main focus of our group on our monthly meetings. We also put together a conference every fall for brain injury survivors that we hold locally. And then we do one every spring for professionals. What constitutes the brain injury? So depending, yeah, depending on who you're talking with, we tend to look at it rather loosely. So, um, you know, the traditional diagnosis is a blow to the head of significant force that causes some type of disruption related to brain functions, and they can be physical, cognitive, or emotional. We also include what people will call an acquired brain injury, say a stroke or an aneurysm rupture, uh, someone who's had a brain tumor removed. Um, we found over the years that um, some of our younger stroke patients, you know, people in their 40s, 50s um, that have strokes, tend to find the brain injury association groups more helpful than some of the stroke groups, mm-hmm. just because it's a younger group of people and they can relate more. And, you know, they're looking at issues like maybe return to work and things like that. How do you get the word out that you're there and that there are services out there? That, that's a real tough challenge in today's world. I mean, obviously the website, um, trying to get the word out there. Um, we partner a lot with the Brain Injury Association of Ohio. Um, and, and my current work with Cleveland Clinic Akron General, I uh, help coordinate a traumatic brain injury clinic 
which meets the first and third Mondays, and patients are referred um, after discharge from the hospital. And our main goal was to get people connected up to outpatient services. And um, Lauren, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Holly, the executive director of the Brain Injury Association of Ohio, was fortunate enough to uh, get a grant to allow her to be present on those days. And so, you know, right then and there. So at time of discharge, that person, you know, within several weeks has access to those services. Um, you know, it's and it's not just services like referral to outpatient physical, occupational, speech therapy, um, psychological services, but it's also things like they need help with applying for disability, maybe, or how do you get housing or what about food or transportation? So it's so important. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because these these families and not just the person who's experienced the, the TBI, but the families around them. Yeah. And sometimes they're experiencing as, as as psychologically as much as the person who experiences the TBI. Absolutely. Caregiver stress is a huge issue. Um, interestingly enough, this conference that we're planning on April 10th, um, that we're doing, NeoBiff is doing this in conjunction with Select Medical and the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, our target audience really is primary care providers because those are the folks that end up getting the care when you're discharged from the hospital. Um, as you know, people are not following with neurologists or specialists of brain injury necessarily. And so I reached out to the primary care providers in Northeast Ohio to let them know we were planning this and ask what would be important to be included. And interestingly enough, one of the areas that they identified was how to help the family member. Mm, it's it's so important. And I, that part of this whole uh, conversation is not just the survivor, but the families and everybody around. What activities do you see the most that causes brain injuries? I mean, in Ohio, the statistics show, you know, when I first started practice years ago, it was a motor, motor vehicle accidents. What we're seeing now is the predominant causes falls. And it tends to be in the elderly, the older, and the very young. And if you think about it, it makes sense. Those are the, you know, the the young children are learning to walk, toddlers, and they're going to fall and hit their head. Older people have balance issues for a variety of reasons and tend to fall. Um, I will also tell you, it tends to be cyclical in Ohio, at least. Um, you know, if we have a bad winter, we see a lot of car accidents. Mm -hmm. um, spring, we start getting the motorcycle accidents. When you fall and you hit your hip. Is the protocol to look at the hip and not look at the head, or is there is the protocol changing so that the whole body is looked at? It seems to be changing in the sense that if you if you were to look at like ER records, that they're asking people, you know, did you hit your head? Was there any loss of consciousness? Um, you know, everybody used to think that the minute you hit the hospital, you're going to get a CAT scan, mm -hmm. and I get that question a lot. Well, that you know, I went to the ER, but they didn't do a CAT scan on my head, so how do you know? And um, especially in concussion, we know now that um, a lot of the insurance companies, first of all, will pay for it. It's not always indicated. A lot of the medical research has shown there are certain criteria that those physicians are looking for when you hit that hospital emergency room to determine if that's a necessary test or not. But, you know, onset, especially with concussion, which is considered a mild traumatic brain injury, that's our most common injury. That's what the majority of the injuries are. Um, you know, you can have onset of symptoms in the hours or the first couple of days afterwards. So mm -hmm. a person could appear in the emergency room and maybe their main complaint if they were in a car accident is neck pain. Um, but it may be like you were saying, it may be the next day when they try to do some computer work that the sensitivity to the light shows up, that they start getting the headaches. We are 
making strides and really recognizing that even a minor hit in a fall, we should have this conversation about having a CAT scan or looking the whole body over. invisible disability probably one of the critical things now remember i'm biased because i'm a neuropsychologist but you know when you look at the brain what does the brain manage it manages physical cognitive and emotional functions it does everything and a lot of times the focus after these injuries is on the physical and people don't assess or look at cognitive or look at what is the emotional change and if you look at the research in brain injury long term people who survive moderate severe injuries you know 10 years later what are the main complaints? They're not physical complaints. They're cognitive or mood changes. And so getting, you know, getting that evaluated earlier rather than later can be really, really critical for people because, you know, the common thing, somebody has, say, a car accident and they break their collarbone and they've had a brain injury. Well, if your collarbone's broken, you can't do a lot, right? So you're kind of chilling, sitting down, relaxing. So you might not notice that memory problem that you're you're going to have when you go back to the workplace and you get released to go back to work. And all of a sudden you're having problems with your memory. Um, that then leads to poor performance evaluations. It can lead to someone losing their job. Um, whereas all of that could have been maybe identified, diagnosed, treated at the onset, um, rather than letting that person kind of react to finding out something to try to be more proactive. The problem is that a lot of times our survivors don't get referred to those types of evaluations. Was, I think we're better now than yeah. we were 10 years ago. Um, part of it is just like access to services. You know, I'm one of a handful of neuropsychologists and it takes months sometimes to get in to see someone. And you have to think of the practical things. I don't know if you've talked with Lauren about the experiences that they've had. Brain Injury Association of Ohio has been involved with Procter & Gamble down in the Cincinnati area. They had an engineer who was in a fairly high level position that had a brain injury. And his return to work experience was very negative. And so he did something about it to put in place a protocol, which is really great. But, you know, going through that, it was a learning process. It was interesting because one of the things, you know, that no one thought about was you put somebody with a brain injury back in on a production line, okay? And you give them accommodations. Your productivity doesn't matter right now. We just want to get you back to work. But what they forgot about was the fact that the supervisor's bonus and pay is tied to productivity of those people that he supervises. Interesting. And so his pay is being docked because this person is not as productive. So he wants them off his line. And so you create those kinds of negative relationships and repercussions. So you really have to step back and look at all the different angles when you're when you're looking at these return to work or return to school kinds of things. Things we don't really, we think we're fine and maybe we are. But this mean we can't have these discussions and, and talk about the potential of. What is your opinion about how the arts can have an impact on a TBI survivor? Um, even just from the standpoint of helping to develop what we call emotional resilience, you know, mm -hmm. engaging something that you find enjoyable, whether it's making a card or dancing or playing the piano, you know, that gives us a sense of emotional satisfaction. Um, and, you know, the physical aspects of it, it's interesting, that, you know, for you being the dancer, there's actually um, some folks down at Ohio State that were looking at using dance as part of the therapy component of it. Um, we know if you look at rehabilitation research, therapy can be very boring. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever met, have you met Kevin Spencer at all? 
No, I have not. Kevin is is a fascinating individual. We've had him as our keynote speaker a couple times. Um, and he was an internationally renowned magician before he had his car accident. Mm. And he found therapy, frankly, to be very boring, like most people do. And he actually has developed a whole curriculum of use of magic in oh, as a therapeutic modality. And it's, it's accepted by the American Medical Association. I mean, there's good research published. Um, it was fascinating when he did our conference the last time he, you know, was having people, he was teaching the magic tricks. And there was a woman at, that was at our conference who had some pretty significant cognitive impairment and focus and concentration. And she was able to stand up in front of the group and perform this magic trick, which that was a lot of focus, a lot of concentration. But, you know, it was interesting to her and it grabs you. It's like nobody likes to do things that are boring, regardless of what it is. You know, that was part of my recovery, doing things that I... If I was not a dancer, maybe it was um, something else. Maybe I, I would want to go to that place and then open up from that point. You know, and we all, right. I mean, that's what rehab does. Maybe it's, what can you do? Because we, when we have an injury like this, we look at things that we can't do. Well, I can't yeah. do that anymore. You know, um, yeah. it becomes good. You, but you pick something that was purposeful and meaningful to you. And I think that's the key because then you're going to stick with it. Correct. And then that's what rehab is supposed is, is should be doing, right? Give that person right. a purpose. Give that person a purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm so glad that you took your time today to talk to me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm thank really, you for doing this. I'm really happy. Um, so thank you, Dr. Deanne Fry, for um, being part of this conversation.